Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to see everybody here this morning. If we can get the preacher seated, we'll be in good shape. Well, for those of you who are uh, listening on Facebook or uh, other social media, this is the uh, the regular worship service of the Lexington Christian Church in Lexington, Indiana. It's the little town. And... Uh, we're just uh, just glad to have uh, have everybody here, either in spirit or on on the air or uh, or in person. We uh, don't have a whole lot in the way of announcements this morning. Uh, First Christian in uh, in Scottsburg has a uh, well, their annual uh, Southern Indiana Seniors Day. It's going to be on the twelfth uh, of August, Thursday, uh, from eight thirty to two o'clock, and. Uh, I have the uh, information here. It'll be on the uh, on the half round table out in the hallway. You can get the, the details on that. Do we have any birthdays today besides Fred Kress? Uh, right. Is, uh, is that all? Anybody else? something a little uh, little different this morning we have yeah. two instrumentalists instead of uh, instead of just one something rock and roll you probably see a lot more of we got Jeannie Cartwright on the piano this morning and uh, as well as Wilma on the organ so two uh, two That's new instruments that, hmm? That's squirrel. that is a squirrel as squirrely as it comes anniversaries no anniversaries. Okay. Yes. Yes. Their anniversary? Okay. So Gary and Ann, if you're listening, my happy anniversary to you. Let's continue to praise the Lord this morning. Turn to uh, number 59. Blessed be the name. Let's stand and sing.
number 174. Open my eyes that I might see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my Will you take us to the Lord in prayer, please? Sure. Our Father in God, Lord, we are so blessed. We're blessed just to be here in your presence this morning, Lord. We're blessed to be called children of the Most High God, a part of your family, a part of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for these blessings and so much more. Lord, there's so many things that we tend to just take for granted, like, my heart's going to continue to beat <laughs> that I can will continue to breathe. Lord, help us to be more grateful for all of the things that we have because there are so many who are without. So, Lord, we ask you to bless us again this morning. Let your spirit come. And touch our hearts and lift us above all the challenges of this world. Pull us up close to you. Let us feel your hug this morning. As you bless us, let us also be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth 
Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Our communion hymn this morning is number 260. <clears throat> 260. Come share the Lord. Jim Rominger has our meditation this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I've been reading a devotional by Adam Hamilton called 24 Hours That Changed the World. And in one of his devotions about two gardens, he pointed out that how Satan tempted Jesus, and in another devotion, how Jesus wanted his disciples, how he wanted them to act. Eden was first garden. Second garden was the garden where Jesus prayed fervently that the cup would pass from him. But he also prayed 
that it was not his will, but God's will be done. And when he went back to his disciples after praying in that second garden, he found them asleep. And he went back and prayed again the same prayer. If this could be taken from him, then please take it from me. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. Three times he went back, found the disciples sleeping. How, how important for us that we think his, his trusted disciples, but yet they failed him in the respect that, man, they, they, they couldn't stay awake long enough for him to get back to them. How often do we fall asleep? Do we not pay attention to what's happening? In another devotion, he hears his disciple talking about which one will be regarded as the greatest. In the second garden, Satan tempts Jesus with all the riches this world can offer. He possibly asked Jesus several questions, the devil. Did God really intend for you to suffer and die? Or surely you don't believe that if you die, anything will change. Or the devil says, what good will you be when you're dead? Or do you really believe that this band of misfits you call disciples can carry on your mission. Look at them. They're sleeping. It's not too late, Jesus. Run. <laughs> then at the Last Supper, Jesus hears his disciples discussing which one of them will be regarded as the greatest. How that must have sunk Jesus' heart to hear what was happening. But he never gave up. This, this was God's chosen 12. And how they turned things around and how we can do the same thing in our lives. Jesus gives them a lesson on how they should act. I want to read a devotion that is uh, classified as uh, the measure of greatness. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of Gentiles lord it over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. During supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father 
had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. The author says, I find, I find studying the disciples in the gospel to be a hopeful exercise for struggling Christians like me. About the time I feel that I am hopelessly lost, I read a passage such as Luke's account of the Last Supper where as Jesus was preparing for his crucifixion, the disciples were sitting at the Passover meal secretly arguing over which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. After three years with Jesus, this is what they were arguing about. It was sometime around the sixth grade that I encountered the idea of popularity. At my school, there were certain kids who were considered to be cool. They defined by some combination of their appearance, their parents' wealth, their self-confidence, and their sporting powers. By high school, the characteristics of greatness were expanded to include those students nearly universally recognized by the student body for their talents. At the same time, there was a second tier of greatness defined within the popular groups. In the, in the band, it was the first chair kids. In sports, it was the starters. Among the antisocial kids, it was the kid who could be the most antisocial. We do not stop disputing which of us is considered the greatest when we reach adulthood. How does social society generally define greatness today? Jesus, knowing that the disciples were arguing about which of them was greatest, did something most surprising. He got up from the table, went to the door, and picked up a pitcher of water, a towel, the basin that had been left there so the disciples could wash their feet as they entered the room. None of them apparently had washed their own feet, and certainly none had thought about offering to wash the feet of their fellow disciples or even the feet of Jesus. Performing such a task like that, like uh, the meal preparation Jesus had sent Peter and John to make earlier the day, was the responsibility of a servant. And they were not servants. They were disciples. To their great discomfort, Jesus sank to his knees 
and one by one washed their feet. To make sure they understood the meaning of this gesture, he said in essence, this is what true greatness looks like. By washing his disciples' feet, the Son of God assumed the most humble of roles. Then he called all who would follow him to strive for that kind of greatness, to live their life as humble servants. Long before the business world discovered the concept of servant leadership, Jesus was calling his followers to adopt that lifestyle. Would those who know you describe you as, as one who in humility seeks to serve others? Let us pray. Lord, you know that like the disciples, I yearn to be considered great by others. Grant me a servant's heart so that I may discover that true greatness is found in humility and service. Amen. Let's take a few moments just to uh, to meditate on the Lord and his greatness and go one-to-one with him in, in prayer. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room for the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, broke it, blessed it, passed it among them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. And also the cup. After they had eaten, he took it and blessed it passed it among them, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you. Let's stand for the doxology.
turn to number 466. O oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Leaning on the everlasting arms.
may be seated. And uh, Brother Jim, you have the scripture? Scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Jesus, Jesus is anointed at Bethany. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar and very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a very high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it in preparation to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jim. Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Oh, boy. Has God been good to you this week? Yeah, he had to have been. We're all here, right? <laughs> oh, well, as we continue our study here in the book of Matthew, and we take this next pericope, you know, there's several things that stand out about this particular passage. First of all, in verse 6, it starts out, he was in the home of Simon the leper. Now, this can mean a couple of different things. It can mean that it was a man who had leprosy that Jesus had healed and no longer had it. Or it could mean that, once again, Jesus is going against the grain of the culture of the day and going into the house of a man who has, currently, leprosy. He had no fear of leprosy. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to catch it. He also knew that he could wipe it out. He had no fear of disease. He had authority over all disease. That's the reason why one day there will be no more disease, no more pain, no more suffering, no more illness. No more of any of that. It will all be taken away 
What a glorious day. And then it says, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. So here you have this woman who comes in, apparently not necessarily invited, (laughs) and she just comes in. We're not told who it is. Now, there is an account in the other Gospels of a similar event. And some of the uh, scholars say that it's the same event with more detail. Other people, like myself, believe it's two separate events. In this one, the oil was put on his head. He was in the home of Simon the leper. In the other, it was put on his feet. Now, that's not to say that it couldn't be a combination that could have put it on his head and his feet. But that's not what it says. So this woman just comes in to do this. Now, why would she do that? Why would she come and bring probably the most expensive thing that she ever owned in her life? She probably worked and worked and worked and worked. To save up the money to buy this jar of perfume. That perfume is said to have been worth several days, hundred days or, or more of, of a day's wages just to purchase this. So she worked hard and saved hard and then she comes in. Possibly to a stranger's home. Maybe not. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe they didn't. But then she goes directly to Jesus. She doesn't come in to sit down and join in on the banquet. She doesn't come in to socialize with everybody. She came in for one specific reason. And that was to anoint Jesus with this perfume. The Holy Spirit guided this woman to do this. This was a symbol to the people that Jesus was indeed about to die. And he himself explained, she did this in preparation for my burial. This was a visual aid for people to get the picture. Jesus is about to die. He's being prepared for his tomb. But this woman's heart had to have been filled with such great love for Jesus. She loved Jesus more than she loved that perfume or the money that she earned so hard to get that perfume. I wonder sometimes if if we have that same love for Jesus... Do we let go of even our best things, our most expensive things, if there's a call for it? Or are we maybe like Ananias and Sapphira? We say we give the most and the best, but we're only lying to ourselves. You can't lie to God.
If God called upon any one of us at any moment to give up everything we own, to go do something for him, could we walk away? Could we walk away? Really, think about that seriously. Give it some serious thought. If God called on you or me to just leave everything behind and go, grab a few things that you will need on the road and leave everything else and just go, could we do that? This woman had a heart that she could do that. She gave her best, the very best she had. She gave it to Jesus. That's a good lesson for us. But when the disciples saw what she did, they had an entirely different view of things. What a waste! (laughs) You could have sold that and all the money could have been used to feed the poor. I think we use that excuse too much. I really do. Well... We could have used this money better. We could have fed the poor. But when's the last time you did feed the poor? I mean, really. When's the last time you did use your money to feed the poor, the hungry? Or to clothe those who were needing clothes? When's the last time we did that, folks? Or is it just in our minds that we do these things? Well, I sent $50 to Israel. Yeah, so what? That's good. But that's not enough. That's not the end. There still needs. (laughs) We often forget just how blessed we are in America. People who live on welfare in America are better off than eight-tenths of the people in the rest of the world. People who come from third-world countries would come to a simple home where people are living on welfare and, and government assistance, and maybe working and making minimum wage, and they would come into your home and they would say, Wow, you're so blessed. You have a home (laughs) to live in. You have a refrigerator with food in it. You have cabinets that have food in it. You have water that runs through the water faucet and it's clean. (laughs) You can trust it. You can drink it. And we often forget those things. We take it for granted because we're used to it. But you know, something could happen one day. And some of those things could change. You ever had your water shut off in the middle of a day when they were fixing a pipe or something? And you weren't even told ahead of time they were going to do it. All of a sudden you go to get a drink and there's no water. What's the deal? (laughs) What about in the middle of the day all of a sudden your electricity just goes off? You were busy doing something on the internet or, uh, you know, whatever. Trying to read something. You needed the light. It's gone. I think those are subtle reminders of how blessed we are. 
But these disciples, and probably more specifically, Judas. <laughs> Judas was a thief, and he was the money keeper. I mean, tell me something, folks. Jesus was God in the flesh, right? Right? And Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew everything, right? So why would he appoint a thief to be the caretaker of the money? (laughs) Did you ever think about that? It just goes to show you how little he thought about money. He wasn't worried. If he needed it, he'd just have one of them go fishing. First fish you catch, open its mouth and bring out the money to pay the taxes. (laughs) He wasn't concerned about that. You know, what Jesus was really concerned with was displayed in this woman's actions. He was displayed and he, he, he was concerned about the love for God in our hearts. People have different ways of expressing that. Now, we, we, we have to understand that. Some people grew up differently than others. And so they have a very different way of expressing their love for God. There is also, you know, anybody ever read the, the five love languages? Yeah, there's different ways that people are wired to express their love. And just because we have one way of doing it and expressing it doesn't give us a right to judge everybody else for not doing what I am doing. Because I am not the king. I am not the judge. He is. He's the one who determines what's right in action and what's not. And he's not in the habit of telling me what you did bad. He's in the habit of telling you what you did bad or rewarding you for what you did good. It's my job to point out to you what's good and what's bad through the scripture. And if I don't do that, then I'm in trouble. (laughs) But it's up to you to put it into practice. These disciples, you would think... That after being with Jesus all this time and seeing all the miracles and hearing him already tell them twice at this point, uh, maybe even three times at this point, that he was going to die. That they would get it. That they would understand to some degree the love that this woman was expressing to a Savior who's about to go to the cross. But instead, no, they're more concerned about the money. They're more concerned about what we could do for the, for the needy. And Jesus said, the needy you will always have with you. But me, you will not always have with you. Let me ask you something. Are there needy people in the world today? Yeah, well, so far his, his statement has proved to be true, right? You will always have needy with you. But him in the flesh, the way he was here, 
He's not still here in the flesh, is he? He's gone. And this was a sign of love to do this. We need to have love for God and love for our fellow man and our heart. So much so that the Bible says that we should consider other people's needs more than our own. I wonder, do we do that? Are we even aware of the needs of the people around us? You know, we, we often think that, well, I mean, if you come ask me, then, yeah, I, I'll be aware. But then I've met people who seem to have a natural instinct. <laughs> they can be around a person for a few minutes and know what they need and go get it for them. And the person is super surprised. They're like, how'd you know? And at some point in time, it seems like we say something to indicate that we need this or we need that. And these people are just in tune. They listen. They, they pick up on those things. They're just wired that way because these people are givers. They're generous in their heart. They're givers. They're doers. But then there's other people like me. You can insinuate all day long about something, but if you don't flat out tell me, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just have to be straightforward, blunt with me. That's the way my mom always was. She'd look at me and say, you're fat. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but, you know, we need to try to pay attention to other people, but at the same time, when we have a need, we shouldn't be afraid to let people know we have a need. We shouldn't expect people to just look at us and know, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not a mind reader. So we, if we have a need, we need to lift it up. We need to let people know. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, I want to trade my, uh, my BMW in for Jaguar. Could you all help pay for it? <laughs> it don't work that way, folks. I said need, not want. You know, when we get into a tr- place where we can't pay our rent or where we, we have trouble getting the groceries that we need, you know, and I've known people who had to choose between toilet tissue and medication. That's a tough spot to be in. But we should never be ashamed to say, I need help. You know, that's a failure on the church's part for probably the last 50 years. Is to really help the people in their congregation. And the biggest reason why is because people are too proud to let you know when they have a need. You can't meet a need that you're not aware of, can you? Just stop and think about that for a minute. This woman was given this inspiration by the Holy Spirit, I have no doubt, to go and do this act of love. And there are people who get at those inspirations to see needs in people and help. But for the rest of us, you've got to ask. (laughs) 
And you should never be afraid to ask for help. You know, you stop and think about the reasons why people don't ask for help. And it mostly comes down to pride. I'm too proud to let you know the condition that I'm in. I'm too proud to accept help. Well, I'm sorry. What if we were too proud to accept help from Jesus? Then where would we be? Hmm. And, you know, Jesus expects us to love and to help one another. And there's some truth to the fact that we don't go visit our friends in the church enough often to know that they have a need either. And I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody else. I mean, it's harder for me because I don't drive, but that don't mean it's impossible for me. And so I think there's a few things in this lesson that we can learn to do better. And so I wonder, if we, if we just took this lesson and evaluated our lives just based on this, where would we fit? Let's say on a scale from 1 to 10, how well are we doing? Are we way down at a 0 or a 1? Or are we up at the 10 scale, 9, 8? I mean, only you can evaluate your own self. You and God. And if you honestly pray and ask the Holy Spirit to let you know, he will. We may not like the answer we get. You're a one. (laughs) But that's where growth comes in, folks. Is when we truly evaluate, let the Lord evaluate, and listen. And then we can make the changes that's necessary to serve him better. If you have a need this morning, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Bob. Our invitation hymn this morning is number 376. Are you washed in the blood? Stand and sing.
you can get me. Or help me get them hogs there. We gotta walk. He wanted me to ride. But <laughs> <laughs> you know this morning I service here. I don't want to ask for no help. But if he gets dragging me down, I'm not asking for myself. There's a lot of people in my ministry that needs help. Good brothers and sisters of Christ to support not just money. I don't know what it is, but if anybody needs to be mentored. Anybody who's got time, come out. Come out. Pick some corn on a dark mess. You're doing great. It's going to the clearing house. We're going to eat a little bit of it. But, uh, if you can't do that, just go visit. That would be wonderful job because my ministry offers host for people because they they get that sense of hopelessness. Or no, I'm trying to offer that hope, and I offer them Jesus' love. Show them that I'll go the distance. I'll take them to work, or I'll, I'll be there for them. So I'm doing what the Lord's, you know, just preaching this morning hit me, and I really didn't want to ask, but <laughs> it said ask, you know, and I'm talking my pride in a little bit, but, uh, you know, some of the people are just trying to connect with somebody or something, you know, or if you see somebody out there that nobody wants or loves, send them to me. I'll turn no one down. better though. I am getting blessed with some things and um, but uh, I'll let you go on. I love you guys. Yeah, for those who may not know, he has a homeless ministry. Uh, brings in homeless people, gives them a place to stay, uh, tries to introduce them to Jesus, gives them food, whatever they need. And uh, uh, so, you know, it, it's based on their income, too, to a degree. But even if they have nothing, they're not turned away. And uh, so... Uh, there is a lot of work in it, a lot of work. And, uh, you know, he's asked several times or insinuated several times that it would be nice to have 
you know, people come out and visit, just just visit some of the women to mentor some of the ladies out there and men to mentor some of the men. Uh, and he can't do it all. I can't do it all. Uh, but the church together can. So pray about it. Think about it. See where God leads you. All right, Brother Bob. Cheers. All right.